0: All right, so I already said it, my name is Patrick, I'm the youth pastor, um, and we've been preaching through Genesis, and so typically we um, go through a book of the Bible very expositionally, um, but you've noticed maybe over the last couple of weeks we've taken a little bit of a break from Genesis, and so this morning I'm going to be preaching about The church. You guys, church is strange. But I've seen stranger things all three seasons. And so. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Season number four is coming out. Um, (laughs) No, sorry. I wrote that last week and I laughed and I was like, I gotta say that one. All right. But seriously, church is strange. It just kind of is. Like, if you're not a part of the church, if you're not in Jesus, the world looks at the church and they're like, what is going on? Like, if you're of the world and you come to a church service and they're singing about blood, huh? Better yet, at the end of this service, we're going to eat the body. Of Jesus, and we're going to drink His blood. Now they're representations of such, but it's strange. Um, I was at Lowe's. This was I don't know a while ago, and I was wearing one of my favorite T-shirts that says "I love potlucks." <laughs> and one of the guys that worked there was in the same aisle as me, and he like saw my T-shirt and he read it, and he worked there, and he was like, "Potluck." Is that the thing that the church does? And I was like, it is. It is. And he was like, I just, I don't know if I could get past the mayonnaise dishes. (laughs) And I was like, that's my favorite part. Um, But I should have, in that moment, gone into a full fledged, let me actually, can I tell you about the church? Can I tell you what it is? But he was on the clock. I was looking for a plumbing something so that I could go home and figure out how it worked, and, uh, and I didn't do that. But I think about that conversation, I think about the church, and I think about some of the things that we do that are strange, but I have to tell you, um, the church through history is even wackier. Like, we do some weird things today, but, like, can we just talk about the Crusades for a second? Like, anybody familiar with that? Like 1091 to 1295 ish? So, like 200 years. The church is like going to fund, support, they initiated it, a, a war where they were going to go reclaim the Holy Land, Jerusalem, from the Islamic nation. What? That's bizarre. That is crazy. The church is strange. Okay, have I done enough? You ready? This is even more weird. You ready? When I was in seminary, I had a preaching professor who told me, okay, Patrick, you're going to preach, right? You're going to preach one day. um, And when you preach, you ready? You need to get up there and you need to tell an exciting, compelling story so they'll listen to you. If you lose them in the first eight seconds, forget about it. Dang, I got eight seconds? That's it? Church is strange. Listen, we're talking about the Word of God. So if I've lost you already, please come back. Please. All right. No, seriously, uh, church is weird. We got got to do this. Ready? We're we're talking about Genesis every other week leading up to this, and I got to get to the church. So you ready? Exodus happens, okay? We're we're at this part in Genesis. Joseph is going to go down to to Egypt, right? And then he's going to stay there, and Israel is going to grow, and they're going to multiply in Egypt, and then Exodus happens. Moses comes. He gets them out of Egypt, right? And then they're at Mount Sinai, and God makes a covenant with them, and he gives them the Ten Commandments, and then they go to the land, but then they don't listen, and then they wander, and then all of this stuff happens, and they have the second law that's given by Moses, right? And Israel finally gets into the land, and and they're like, listen, we want a king. We want to be like all those other nations, okay? We want a king. We don't want you to be our king. We want a physical, actual king, and then they have Saul. They find Saul. He becomes king, and then there's David, and there's all these kings, and these line of kings, and you can read about all of this in the Old Testament. I promise it's all there. And Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to be God's representative on earth, but they mess up, and they mess up, and they mess up, and they just keep messing up. And you read all this, so God sends prophets who's supposed to turn them back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. Follow His law. He's good. He loves you. Follow you know, all this stuff. And then Jeremiah, we get Jeremiah. Are you ready? Chapter thirty-one. He says this: Look, the days are coming. In the future, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Remember, we said that. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. We said that. They kept failing, right? They're breaking God's covenant. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching. Within them, and write it on their hearts I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. declaration for I will forgive their iniquity, and never again will I remember their sin. This is Jeremiah, okay? This is a prophet in the Old Testament talking to Israel about the future. The future comes. His name is Jesus. We're going to, coming up here in December, we're going to celebrate baby Jesus, and everybody's going to go, woo! It's going to be great. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and Jesus, in case you haven't heard, is the Son of God. Okay? He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God, and he is fully man. And Jesus comes to earth to do a lot of things. And I don't have really time to unpack all the things that Jesus came to do. So I'm going to focus on what I think two of them are. One of them is Jesus comes to show humanity what it looks like to be human. The second person of the Trinity, God, takes on flesh, comes and lives to show humanity what it looks like to be human, okay? This is the Imago day, God's creation in Genesis that we read about in Genesis. So Jesus comes to do that. The other thing Jesus comes to do is to make atonement for sin, okay? I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And and Jesus comes and he does a lot of things, okay? And and that part of showing humanity how to be human is, is all the things that you read about In the Gospels, how he taught, the things he spoke, the things he said, right? And so we're going to dive into some of those in Matthew. We're going to play Bible drills. So if you just scream out when you get there, I'm just kidding. We're not actually going to do that. Uh, Matthew 16. We're going to start there. Um, Jesus is uh, in Caesarea Philippi, and he is with his disciples. Okay, we're jumping in to verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew. If you want to go there, please go there. If you don't, just listen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus, he looks at Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to don't tell anybody. So this is this account that Matthew records for us of Jesus having this phenomenal conversation with his disciples. Okay, And I know if you've grown up in church, you've heard this. All right, And I don't really, I, if you've seen me preach before, or if you know anything about me, I'm a big proponent of context. Context is the most important thing when we're reading the scriptures. So I don't really have time to set up all the context of this conversation. We're just kind of jumping into it. But Jesus says something that's that's really interesting here. In verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will, I will, this is Jesus speaking, I will build my Greek word ekklesia. English word, church. What? No. Jesus says this. Ready? I will give you. Sorry, I will uh, say to you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my my gathering, my people. Anybody got Jeremiah thirty-one kind of echoing in there? Because I read it. My people. Jesus says, I will build my church, my people, my gathering. To the disciples standing there, they're probably thinking, gosh, I think he's talking about us. Because they were like a group of people, right? All right, sorry, I can see I'm boring you. But this is incredibly important, okay? And then what Jesus starts doing now is I think in his teachings and all the things that he's saying, I don't know if it's quite clicking with the disciples, but again, what he's doing is he's showing us how to be human. He's showing us how to be his people. He's teaching us some things. And so in John chapter 15, he says this. This is John recording all the things that Jesus said has said, right? and Well, a lot of things Jesus said. He tells us at the end that I just I couldn't write all of it because it would have filled every library and I, I couldn't write all of it, but I wrote the things uh, so that you could believe who he is. In John 15, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. You ready? This is the words of the second person of the Trinity, God. You ready? This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore. This is the second person of the Trinity, God on high, the Son of God. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. He repeats it. This is what I command you, love one another. You're starting to pick up a little vision for what Jesus envisioned his gathering, his people to do, love one another. If you flip the page, we get to John chapter 17. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, prays for who? His disciples. This is, this is incredible. This is amazing. You ready? John 17. I'm sure you've, you've read it before, starting in verse 20. This is Jesus. I pray. This is Jesus talking to his Father, who he is one with. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Y'all believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, sitting in a room with his disciples, prays to the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, for you and me. Emoji brain explosion. Verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Let me read that again. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also make sure that there is great coffee on Sunday morning. May they make sure that their preacher is compelling May they make sure that the band sounds amazing. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Let them make sure that the lighting is. He says this. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. You have loved them as much as you love me, your son. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you. This is why he came. If you have seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue To make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. (sighs) This is good. Jesus is having a vision and he's telling his disciples what the church is going to look like. What his gathering, what his people, what his ecclesia, what we would say church is going to look like. And then Jesus does something that they should have seen coming because he told them it was going to happen. He goes and he dies on a Roman cross. I said this earlier. Jesus makes atonement for sin. He pays a... Bl- <laughs> Sorry. I went and saw a, a Marvel movie yesterday. And in the midst of this Marvel movie, they said this line. They said, a blood debt requires a blood payment. And I almost jumped out of my chair. That's Hebrews! <laughs> <laughs> And I was sitting there with my friend Thomas from Dallas. And it was like I like going to say, pause the movie, pause the movie, pause the movie. Right? A blood debt requires a blood payment. Death for sin. The wages, the cost of sin is death. Jesus goes to the cross willingly. The second person of the Trinity, the only person that can do this. He goes to the cross. He's nailed to it. He suffocates on his own blood and saliva. He probably defecates, loses his last breath, dies, dead, done. No breath in his lungs. This is Jesus. And three days later, the father sees his sacrifice as sufficient. He's like, you've done it, my son. You've brought your gathering to me. You've reconciled him to me, the Father. And so here's breath back in your lungs. And Jesus breathes in the tomb. And he stands up. And the angels throw the rock away. And he walks out. And we only preach about this on Easter. Why? (laughs) Jesus makes atonement for sin. And then he's alive. Church is strange. We're talking about a guy who died and three days later rose from the dead. Not like Lazarus. Lazarus died again. Jesus is alive. We keep reading, and, and, and his followers, they write all this down. They record it for us. It's amazing. It's called the Bible. And, um, in Acts chapter 2, right? Well, chapter 1, we see Jesus, he's meeting with his disciples. He, 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 he shows up to them over the course of 40 days in many different ways, and you can read about this. I promise it's there, okay? And then in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, Jesus is standing with them on the Mount of Olives, and he tells them, listen, guys, I've already told you about the one that's coming, and he is greater. And listen, when he comes, you will receive power. You will receive power. Okay? That's what he says to them. And then he does his thing. Frank loves to preach this part, or he floats away, and then the disciples are scared and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't heard Frank preach that, you can find it. It's online. All right. Acts chapter 2 is recorded for us. This is awesome. Holy Spirit comes. All right. We read about this. Again, I'm running out of time quickly. Um, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And so Peter and his disciples, they are filled, or Peter and the other disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's about 120 of them at this point. We read about it in Acts chapter 1. All right? And Peter says this. Again, remember, Matthew chapter 16, going in your, right, it's 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 on play back here. Matthew chapter 16, Peter says, or Jesus says, Peter, on you, on this rock, I will build my church, okay? Peter, this is Peter. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you and through him. Just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan, they killed him, uh, summarized, they killed him, they killed him, they killed him, uh, and then I should have pencil marked it. Where is it? They tell him Jesus is alive. It's there. I don't have time. They say Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? 32. Thank you. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Oh, I love the church. Thanks for the, <laughs> thanks for the assist. Okay. Um, 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Whoa, I'll put my teaching in your heart. They were pierced to the heart. <laughs> and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you. He doesn't say, let's build a church. Let's build a building. Let's put our thoughts together. And No, he doesn't say that. He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because he died for them. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself. You're going to receive that. He's going to be in you for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. As many as the Lord, our God, will call with many other words he testified and he strongly. So Peter preaches the first church into existence. It says 3,000 were added to their number that day, from 120 to 3,000. Okay. Whew. All right. Luke is writing this. Okay, And he's writing it to Theophilus. And he's done all this research. And he's trying to show them. He writes the, the, the Gospel of Luke. right? This is the life of Jesus. And then he writes part two, which we know as Acts. And so he's, he's writing this description. It's a description of all the things he heard about Jesus' gathering. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We can throw that up. All right. They devoted themselves... Devotion is a strong word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. You hear Jesus praying, Oh, Father, may they be one. They held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property, they distributed the pretty seeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, and they praised God and they enjoyed the favor of everyone. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is beautiful. This description of humanity is precious. Guys, the church is really strange. It's a weird thing. And I have like four minutes. I studied church history. I have read a lot. The church has gotten it terribly, terribly wrong. The disciples we read about in Acts chapter 8, they're dispersed because there's persecution. And the disciples disperse they live out acts chapter 1 and they go in fact if you do your research a lot of it is legend but none of the disciples with the exception of James yes who we read about was killed in acts chapter 12 none of them died in israel they went to preach the gospel they got out of there they went to all the nations and they were killed for it, most of them. The church uh, that stays in Jerusalem becomes the epicenter of it, right? And Paul, we read about Paul in Acts chapter 9, and he comes to Christ, and he becomes a missionary, and he's sent out from Jerusalem, and he goes to all these places, and they start planting churches, and the church gets confused. See, they're not gathered around the risen Christ, and they're not about loving one another, and so Paul has to write these letters. And in Ephesians, Gosh, we could look at so many of them, but in Ephesians, he says this. He's writing this letter to the church who's gotten a little confused. In chapter four, sorry, I need a tissue. Woo. Uh, in chapter four, he says this, verse thirty-one: Let all your bitterness, all your anger, all your wrath. He's talking to the church. You're shouting, and your slander. Let go of it. Let it be removed. Along with all of your malice and your ill content, be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Why? Because Jesus, God, the second person of the Trinity, he went to the cross and he forgave you of your sins. And so be like him, just as Christ forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate, be loving to one another. This is Paul writing to Jesus' ecclesia, his gathering. In Ephesus, okay? And then, um, really, really fast, church history, okay? Church history is bizarre. It is crazy, all right? But in the, somewhere in the first century, like 100 to 165, Justin Martyr, he writes this to Emperor Antonin, to blah, blah, Pius, something like that. Uh, this is not in scripture, this is a uh, historical writing that we find, okay? Justin Martyr, a believer. Says this, we formerly rejoiced in the uncleanness of life. He's writing to the Emperor of Rome about Christians. We formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now we love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now we dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have into everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race. But now, since the manifestation, the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win them over to Christ. This is Justin Martyr writing somewhere in the hundreds AD. 313 AD, okay? 313. So fast forward 200 years. The emperor of Rome, Constantine, he signs a piece of paper. It's called the Edict of Milan. And what he does with that is he says, everybody in the Roman Empire is now a Christian. Boom, I say so. All right? But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And so what happened was the church was confused. It was confused. And we see a lot of really good things kind of happen in the 300s, right? Uh, This guy, Jerome, he has this passion to to translate the Hebrew and the Greek into a language that the Roman Empire would read and understand, and so he translates it into Latin, okay? And the purpose of that was so that the common person could read the scriptures and could know Jesus and could fellowship with one another, all those things, and it's a great thing. And then um, something happens in the 400s, all right? This is, it's all history, and I know, and I'm running out of time. In fact, I ran out of time, but this is important, Okay? The Roman Empire falls, and church is, is, is confused. This, Germanic, this guy from the German territories, they, they, this army comes in, and they destroy Rome, and the church makes a decision, okay? This is over the course of several, uh, several decades, uh, century, like, let's keep Scripture in Latin so that all the Germans and the French and the, all these people, these barbarians who speak different languages, can't read it. The church decided that, right? Because Constantine confused the church. Let's keep it in Latin so they can't read it. And then we can roll. We can just control everything. In fact, we can make a lot of money. We can erect these awesome cathedrals. People will walk in for centuries and, and ooh and ah. And la, 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 Did you hear that? The church does that. And it's over hundreds of years. And then somewhere in the uh, 14th century, this is 1300s, this guy named John Wycliffe, uh, Robert and Amanda Button work for Wycliffe. It's a missionary organization who get their name from John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, he translates scripture, okay? He gets back into the, the Greek and the Hebrew. This is the 14th century, all right? And he's reading it and he's going, wait a second. I don't see purgatory. Wait a second. I don't see the selling of indulgences. Selling of indulgences is buying your salvation. And John Wicklow says, I don't see that in these scriptures. Okay, and so he starts to teach from the scriptures. Imagine that. The church in the 14th century. And then he dies of a stroke. And what does the Roman Catholic church do? They dug up his body and burned his bones. The church is strange. He was preaching the good news of Jesus from the Bible. And then this guy named John Huss. Later, in the, the end of the 14th century, he hears of the teachings of Wycliffe, and he gets really excited, and he starts teaching it. And the Roman Catholic Church, done. And then we read about this uh, angry German monk, uh, Martin Luther, which maybe you guys know this name, 1517. He's like, wait a second, this guy Wycliffe and this guy Huss and these things I'm reading in this translation from the Greek to, this is this is not what the church is teaching, and luckily, the, the, the printing press was invented in Gutenberg, and he was in Germany. And so he, he was able to get it to the people. <gasps> he was able to get these truths of Scripture to the people, to the mob, to the church. And it's what we know as the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation did not get it all right. They did not get it all right. They killed people. You read about it in the history books church is strange. It's hard to get it because Jesus had a vision that we would love each other, that we would give ourselves for our friends. Guys, fast forward to today. The church is, it's weird. The church in America, I don't know. I was laying in my bed late one night. I couldn't sleep. I knew I was going to preach this message. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I was praying about it. I was praying about it. I was was like, Luke. I thought if Luke, if Luke wrote about the church, and he described it today, what would he write? Acts chapter 2. Can you throw this out there? I wrote this. I wrote this about me. I wrote this about this room. I wrote this about the church in America. They devoted themselves to their careers, to academics, to their kids' sports schedules, their social media image, to the next big financial investment, and to their political party. Rarely ever did they witness a miracle. They gathered once every six weeks or when their schedules allowed for it. You guys are here. Good job. There you go. They were divided on theological and social topics. They shared roughly 10% of all they had with each other. They praised God at their convenience and they enjoyed mostly the people that were similar to them. And God added to their number the few who were being saved. Guys, I'm really passionate about Jesus. And sometimes I cry with the teenagers and they're like, what is he doing? (laughs) The church has gotten it wrong for centuries. Jesus said, this is my command, that you love one another, that the world would know that the Father sent me. But here's our hope. The author of Hebrews, in chapter 12, he writes this. Again, the context is so important, but I don't have time. The uh, author of Hebrew he says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly, the ecclesia, the gathering, the people, the church of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. See, when you come to Christ in that moment, you are a part of a heavenly gathering that is centered around Jesus right now because Jesus is alive. And so we may get it wrong but we are gathered in a heavenly realm centered around Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And just as we are a very imperfect reflection of the church, this bread, these crackers, and this juice is a very imperfect picture or reflection of the marriage feast, of the lamb, of Jesus' body and his blood. It is a cracker and it is juice. And some people are confused by it. It's strange. In fact, the last time we did communion, my kids were sitting there and they're like this, and they look mad. And I'm like, why are you so mad? They're like, because you won't let us take communion. And I was like, well, why do you want to take communion? And they're like, because everybody else is. And I was like, well, that is not a good reason to want to take communion. And we went home and we did a good old-fashioned Bible study. (laughs) Communion, it is a cracker, it is juice, and it represents the body of Jesus broken for you. And the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we take this together, we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. So as you do that, make sure you grab two cups. There's two cups uh, because we had to do it a little bit differently. Uh, The juice is in the top cup. The cracker's in the bottom cup. If you just take the juice, you just get the juice. So take two cups, okay? And there's order to this. We believe in order. Oh, thank you. See? Two cups. We believe in order. And so... You're gonna enter, or sorry, exit your row to the right. You're gonna come up to the table and you're gonna go back to your seat on this side. Does that make sense? We do this. All right. I'm gonna pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we commit this time to you. I pray that even though we have not a lot of time that we would praise you, that we would give you all the glory and the honor, that we would remember Jesus, the sacrifice that you made. Uh, I pray this in his name and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.